believe will attract a tangible return from God. Nothing gets done in this kingdom without believing. Nothing gets done. So when I'm walking, believing what God has said, I'm like a pregnant woman because every word that God has given to me, I'm impregnated with the promise of God. What releases the promise into manifestation is my believing that the God who promised will not fail. Time may pass. For Abraham, it took 25 years, Pastor. 25. How many of us can wait 25 years for God's promise? In fact, we can't wait for 25 days, let alone 25 years. Have you two seen the impatience in us? Have you two seen our inability to rely and trust God? Abraham waited 25 years. The promise came to him at the age of 75. The baby that God promised in Genesis 12 did not come to pass or was not born until Abraham was a old. 100 years old. The question is, was God delaying his promise? No. Was God unable to do it? No. So what was the problem? What we don't know is that God reserves the prerogative on when he does what he says in your life. You and I don't have the timetable. You lie. You and I don't determine God's schedule on how and when He does whatever we want to do in our lives. Many times I wish I do. How many of us ever felt that I wish I do? And I think I mentioned something close to the last week. We don't have the timetable. So God, this man became hundred years old before His promise came to fulfill to be fulfilled. The next thing I want us to see as the path to greatness. Remember obedience, the promise, believing God. Number four is that this is very sublime, but it's real. Do you know Abraham said he believed? After you said you believe, you know what is next? You're going to be tested. Abraham was tested. I didn't say it, the scripture says it. Abraham was what? Tested. The Bible says in Genesis 15, can we read with me, please? The Bible says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and the exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what would thou give me? You already spoke these promises, they are not new. So what exactly are you saying to me? Seeing that I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Lo, no one in my house is my heir. And the old the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Thou shalt this shall not be thy hair, but he that shall come forth out of thine bombo wells shall be thy hair. Glory to God. What we see in this scripture was that God gave a promise, he reaffirmed the promise over and over again. But when we got to Genesis 15, Abraham's faith was shaken. Abraham was tested. The Bible says here very clearly, you could see it from the beginning, that God knew what he wanted to do, but the man could not wait. If it were to be you and I, I've made a conclusion here, that Abraham failed the test of patience. And many of us have failed the test of patience many times. 
Not only the test of patience. There are many tests we failed. The test of consistency. There is a difference between being persistent and being consistent. To be persistent gives you what you want. To be consistent means even when it's not there, I'm the same guy. Many of us were failed the test of, this man failed the test of patience. God spoke to him. But you know, how, is, how easy is it when God had spoken, one year passed, two had gone, three had gone, four had gone, five had gone. It's very, very difficult to have your hope high when there is nothing in sight to prove that what you're hoping for, that God is going to do it. You know, it's great to know that it's going to rain when the cloud is there. You know what it takes to believe God that it's going to rain when the sun is shining and the sky is bright. And there is nothing that shows that there is any rain, any rain coming in the horizon. It's very difficult to wait in those seasons of life. And many of us are in that situation right now. You've been waiting, asking the Lord. But the sky is bright and the sun is shining. And you're wondering, Lord, you promised me rain. When is it going to rain? I've waited long enough for this rain. And that's why the scripture says, a hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, it's a natural response to wanting to give up on what God has said. But I want us to see this same Abram, this same man, there are some of us who are working with God. You're working, you know, you're in a situation that appears you're working in doubt. And don't seem to know how to put things together in your life. Abraham was the same too. I don't know about you. There are moments when you don't seem to have everything all together in our lives. But this same Abraham, I want us to see this man in Genesis 22. Hear what the Lord says. In Genesis 22. Are we ready? Verse 1. The Bible says, After these things, God tested Abram and said unto him, Abram, Abraham, he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son. This time is no more Abraham, it's now Abraham. The Bible says, And after these things, God tested Abraham. Church, are we hearing me? What did God do? Tested Abraham. He did. The path to greatness, you're going to be tested. Your patience will be tested. Fathers knowing this house, men knowing this house, many things are being tested in your life every day. The longer you stay in your marriage, the more you're going to be tested. There will be financial tests. Honesty will be tested. Your integrity will be tested. Abraham was tested. The Bible says, the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt sacrifice, burnt offering, on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his, and his son Isaac. And they cut the wood of the burnt offering and arose and went to the place where God had told him. Here we see what happened to Abraham. God said, your son, your only son, go ahead and sacrifice him. But here is the difference between the Abraham of Genesis 15 and the Abraham of Genesis 22. 
Abram already knew. I'll tell us what Abram was thinking. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Because it's so easy to read Genesis 22. And you're wondering what was going on in the mind of Abraham when God spoke to him. Can we read Hebrews chapter 11? Let's see what was going on in his mind. The Bible said, by faith, Abraham. When Hebrews chapter 11, 17. When he was tried. Ever say when he was tried. When he was tried. When he was tried. Offered up Isaac. Offer about us, Isaac. I don't know about too many times. I have been trying many things in my life. Offer us, Isaac. And he that had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Please, church, I want us to pay attention to this. He that had received the promises. So where would this count for? Where will you account for this? Because God gave me a promise. Why will God want to take the same promise that he gave you? The Bible says, he that had received the promise. Who gave the promise, church? God. Who is asking for the child of, the child of promise? God. The question is, why was God doing this? If you gave me a child, why are you requesting that I present the same child back to you? The Bible says God told him to offer his, his son. And what did Abraham do? The Bible says in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 11, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be. Shall thy seed be called? 19. Please, I want everyone to look at Hebrews 11, 19. Very, very important to see. Very important. What does it say in 19? Accounting that... God was able. Hallelujah. God was what? Able. I want to say to us this morning, I don't know what the needs are in your life, but God is able. In every test, in every temptation that you and I go through, God is able. The Bible says God is able. It says, but God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. This is what Abraham was thinking. If he asked me for Isaac, he owns Isaac. He gave me Isaac. I'm going to give him back his Isaac. This is what was going on in his mind. As far as Abraham was concerned, what will it take for him to raise Isaac from the dead? Nothing. Do you know it will take God nothing to raise us up? It will take God nothing. To make you who he wants you to be. It will cost him nothing. I love the prayer of Asa in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Bible says, it is nothing with thee to help. Either with many or them that have no power. Do we understand? It is nothing with you to help. Either with, either with many or them that have no power. David said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. Who makes the heaven and the earth. How are you when God tests what is in your hand? Do you know the woman that, that saw Elijah? Elijah said, what do you have in your house? It was a test. The woman said, what I have in my house is just enough for me and my son to just eat and die. Do you remember what she said? That's what she said. What do you have in your house? We have one more, so we just, all we're thinking is just to eat it and die. And what Elijah said, Elijah said, bring it. Wasn't that a serious temptation? You want me to bring what is left for me and my son to eat? And the Lord said, yeah, bring it. 
And when she brought it, what happened to what she brought? It was multiplied. Everything you bring to God as a seed will be multiplied. You see, what Abraham knew was that there was more to God than Isaac. You see, Abraham had come to the point at which nothing has mattered to him in life but God himself. May the Lord help us. And finally, on this, on this particular Abraham, Abraham was a worshiper. It's important that in everything that God does, you're obedient, you embrace the promise, you're working to believe God, and you understand the place of his counsel, and you understand the place of believing and trusting the Lord, and you've been tested, remember to worship him. The Bible says Abraham raised an altar over and over and over again. He built an altar to God. Many of us as men, the greatest quality of your life is your worship. Let's build a worship life. The strength of your life. God primarily called you and I as men to be priest, first of all. Not priest over anybody, just priest over your own self, first of all. Because you see, to be a priest over somebody else, you have to be a priest over yourself first. Be a priest over your own destiny. Be a priest over your own life first. And then be a priest over whom God has committed into your hands. You have a God to be a priest to represent God before men. And to represent men before God. You know the next thing he called us to do? He called us to be prophets. You see, fathers here know what I'm talking about there. On every child in your home, I don't know whether many of us, there is the spirit of prophecy in you as a man. It's just there. This is, this is not common. I don't know how many men have experienced this. You just look at a child and you hear from God. It's subtle and you just know. You just know. And in that moment, and as a dad, you just begin to pray. Sometimes it's not a scheduled prayer. That's why God has made us to be watchmen over our home as men. And we need to stand in the gap many times. And how we stand in the gap is not only on our knees, but also the words that proceed out of our mouth. Look, a man and a father who is reckless in what he says needs help. Amen? Needs what? Help. There are words that can never proceed out of your mouth. Never. It doesn't matter how annoying we are. Never. It must never come out. Because you know why? Because you're a prophet of God. If you acknowledge your place as a prophet, you understand even in the midst of your annoyance, you give praise to God and say, Lord, I don't understand what is going on, but I know you're working something out in this. Glory to God. Fathers that are listening to me, understand this truth today. God has invested all of heaven on your lips and on your life. Remember, when you project something out of your mouth, it affects the fabric of your family. Be careful what you say out of your mouth as a father. I don't care whether the man is a millionaire and he's a pauper. It doesn't matter. Be careful what proceeds. Because you see, what the man has is the authority over him. And the anointing flows from the head, so also a curse can flow from the head. Be careful what you say. Many of us remember the story of Isaac and Jacob. Remember what happened to one of the sons of Jacob? How many of us remember him? Reuben. How many of us remember Reuben? Reuben annoyed his dad. 
The father said, you are the excellency of my strength. But thou shalt not excel. That's what his father said. Now, that story ended with, with Moses coming in to play, pray over the, the life of this man and bless him. If you read the scriptures, in Deuteronomy, you could see that God, that the Lord, the man of God, began to bless the household of Reuben to bring them the curse that was upon him. There is something about us as men. That's why when you read the Old Testament patriarchs, have you noticed that almost none of them ever lived without praying for their children? Did you notice that? They always bring the children together. Jacob brought his children together. Isaac did the same. Abraham did the same. There was something about those men, and every man listening to me must understand you possess something. You carry the grace of God in your life. Learn to project the right words out of your lips. The Lord bless us all together in Jesus' name. That's the story about the life of Abraham. Now, before I close today, what are the portraits of a father or father figures? What are the portraits of a father or father figures? Because those things matter. Fathers are great men with great minds. Fathers are great men with what? Great minds. Therefore, today my advice to all our men listening to me, you've got to take care of your mind. Brethren, let's take care of our minds. In other words, don't allow corruption in your mind. You are called to be a provider, not just of food and clothing and raiment and houses. That's not what you're called primarily. You are a provider of counsel. And before you can provide the right counsel, you better have the right counsel because you can never give what you don't have. It takes a great mind to guide other minds into greatness. It takes a great mind. Everywhere you find yourself, you are expected to produce great counsel every time. Therefore, what is our responsibility as men? Be informed. Read. Educate yourself. Go out of your comfort zone. Know about a little about everything around you. Because those things matter for you to be able to guide and instruct men in the right direction. There are many cultures in the world today, particularly the Hebrew culture, when things broke down in those societies those days, they went to the elders. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about? In, in the Hebrew culture, when things broke down, when they didn't know what to do, they went to the elders. They called them, if you read the book of the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, they call them elders at the gates. Elders at the gates. Because they were the decision makers. They were the men who were considered to be a source of wisdom. And today, for us as men, we need to understand that role has not changed. Even some of us who came from the culture in Africa. How I many of us grew up in an environment when things get wrong in those societies? There were some men where you grew up. Everybody goes to them. If there's any issue going on in the community, they go to them. Because they believe that the resource, they are the people who can produce wisdom when it is needed. So men, fathers are great men with great minds. Let's take care of our minds. Fathers are supposed to be ethically sound. What do I mean by ethically sound? A good man, you will not see pulling another man down. You don't do it. Because you don't know where they are presently in their lives. 
Integrity is the watchword of a great man. And that's part of the life of, of, of a good man and a great man. When I say integrity, you know, one of the things I just came up with, integrity does not mean perfection. It means authenticity. You're just authentic in your ways. C.S. Lewis, many of us probably have read about it. I read so much about C.S. Lewis. He said, integrity is doing what is right when no one is watching. That's what he said. Integrity is telling myself the truth. Glory to God. For all our mothers and sisters today, encourage your man to grow in grace. Don't nag him. Nagging does not produce good fruit, except for resentment and heart. It's the truth. You know, many times when we see inadequacies in our men, just encourage them. You know why? There is something in every man that wants to be respected. When you nag him, it brings the beast out of him. Rather than bring the best out of him. It's important. Number three. True men are humble. Are we hearing me? True great men are humble. I've seen so many things in this country since I've been here. I have seen so many people with so much riches, but they're humble. You won't believe it. True greatness is in humility. There's a story that we often don't talk about. When we talk about this man, we really don't pay attention to this man. I don't know how many of us have noticed it. it's in Judges chapter 4. There is a story of man. That man was a great man. I didn't say it. The Bible calls him a great man. The Bible calls him a great man because his record showed up in Hebrews chapter 11. His name is Barak. Do we remember Barak? We don't remember Barak? Barak was the man who was sent for by Deborah to fight against the enemy for the land. Barak... It's amazing. Can I read this scripture to you? Listen to what the Bible says about this man. An Israelite again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the, into the hand of the king of Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Azor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Asherah. Then the Israelite cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelite cruelly for 20 years. I want us to hear me verse 4. And at that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under a palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the country of Ephraim. And the Israelite came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said unto him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Go, take position at Montabo. Bring 10,000 men from the tribe of Naphtali and of Zebulun. And I will draw Tisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet with Wadi Kishon with his chariots. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. If you will not go with me, I will not go. I want us to hear this. Sir, most men would not say this. The pride in them won't let them say it. What this man was saying is this. I recognize something and I want to annex it to my advantage. You see, there are a few things as men that we need to take advantage of. There are men whose advice from their wife is nothing to them. You see, you're not going to enjoy the benefit of your companion if every time they give advice or give suggestions, their suggestion is always the worst. Because this man realized 
There is nothing wrong with this woman. She was a prophetess. This is a great man. To me, he buried his pride and understood the role of Deborah as a prophetess. And his role as a soldier. There are two different roles. What did he know? He knew the power of agreement and cooperation. You see, in every home, in every, every father must understand the power of cooperation and agreement. It matters. It makes things work better and faster and quicker in, in many ways. Number two, you see, he also realized, not only am I a soldier, I need a spiritual covering. Deborah was a prophetess. She had her place in the realm of the spirit. She could see things up. If you read that story, at some point Deborah said, you know what? The glory is not coming to you, Barak. Because Sisera will eventually be killed by a woman, not you. That didn't affect the ego of, of Barak. He said, no problem. What I'm saying today is this. This man, we often don't talk about him, but what such a great man he was. Great men know what they are capable of and know how to unnest the people, other people's strength. That's very important. Glory to God. Great men are sensitive and obedient. One of the weakest points in the life of Samson was his disobedience. I've talked about disobedience this morning. He was so anointed. His parents told him, do not go to this place. That's exactly where he wanted to go. There is something about disobedience. It can affect people's destiny. This is what I wrote down. If Samson had listened, maybe the, his greatness would not have been defined by him dying with the Philistine. Because that's what his, his entire greatness was defined by him the final day of his life. He pulled the pillars in the temple and he died together with the Philistine. Maybe he couldn't have died with the Philistine if he had listened and obeyed. Glory to God. Great men understand the power of empathy. Ever say empathy? Empathy. It is important to understand that even as great as you may be, if you don't have empathy, there is no greatness in it. In other words, understanding that there are people around you that are weaker than you, but you must accommodate those who are strong and those who are weak. Empathy. David was coming back in 1 Samuel chapter 30 from the, from, the, from the war against the Amalekites. There were those who couldn't go to the war. They sat behind. As soon as they got back with the booties of war, those who came back, the people who fought in the war said, you know what? We're not going to share part of our beauty with, the, with this man. But David said no. As the part of him that went to war, so also is the part of him that stayed. That's a great man. Empathy. But the Lord bless us this morning. I'm going to close on this as we pray. There is a story in Proverbs chapter 31. How many of us remember the story of a woman we call virtuous woman? We remember her story. Now, most of the things we remember about her was about her. Was about her being virtuous. But I also know this. That when you see a woman like that, it is important to know the man behind her. You see, we said behind every successful man is a woman. Can we turn it the other way around? Behind every successful woman is a man. Do, do we all agree with me this morning? Do you know what the Bible says about this woman? The Bible says, and her husband is honored. Among the elders in the gate. Did you hear that? Her husband is what? Honored. Man, let me say this. Somebody said this many years ago, and I believe it. The person said, you see, what you give to a woman, she will multiply and give back to you. If you give a woman trouble, 
you will reap for chaos. <laughs> because whatever you give to a woman, she will reproduce it. And give it back to you. This man must have been good to his wife. I believe that. We talk about her so many times, but I about the man. The Bible says he was honored among the elders in the gate. May the Lord help us as men. Men, let's rise up in our ability to rise as true men that is in a path of greatness. You see, greatness begins today. Many of us have been in a path of greatness for a while, but God is saying greatness continues. Because as far as God is concerned, it is not a destination. Each day, our greatness is measured by the level of obedience to God and embracing his promises for our lives. Shall we rise to pray this morning?